Welcome to Capital Conversations by the Venture Asset Management Initiative, produced by IMD, your go-to podcast to understand the dynamics in venture capital. This newest episode of Capital Conversations is about challenging dogmatic narratives in venture capital with Fergal Mullen. It's split into two parts, and this is part one. Fergal is a co-founder and partner of Highland Europe, focused on enterprise SaaS and consumer internet companies, e-commerce, marketplace models, supporting e-commerce infrastructure. Fergal represents Highland Europe on the boards of GetYourGuide.com, AMCS, NextThink, BitMovin, Metatopia, Unibuddy, and Podimo. Highland Europe is currently investing from its fifth fund, which is just over 1 billion euros. In total, the firm manages approximately 3 billion euros. Until the formation of Highland Europe, Fergal was a general partner with Highland Capital Partners. He launched the firm in Europe in 2007 and co-founded Highland Europe in 2011. In this first part, Fergal questions the correlation between fund size and success, emphasizing that success metrics should extend beyond mere fund size and align with the firm's strategy. Mullen challenges the bias towards large markets, proposing a more tailored evaluation of a company's potential within its market size. In addressing hardware investments, he rejects the absolute avoidance of deep tech, highlighting exceptions where hardware ventures can thrive. The discussion also challenges the winner-takes-most mentality, promoting an open-minded approach to success through collaborative or niche-focused strategies. Mullen's insights underscore the need for flexibility and adaptability in venture capital, moving away from rigid dogmas to foster more effective and nuanced investment decisions. Fergal Mullen challenges the dogma that the size of a VC fund directly correlates with success. He emphasizes that success should be measured by fund performance, returns, and the ability to identify and nurture successful startups. Fergal argues that fund size should align with the investment strategy, emphasizing the importance of considering factors like portfolio diversification, team capability, and the duration of the fund. Average fund sizes have crept up over the past decade. If you just look at the asset class, meaning venture capital and growth capital in Europe, in the past 15 years, we were stuck at about five, six, seven billion per year invested into the asset class by LPs, you know, 12, 14 years ago. And now we're at the 70, 80 billion and we went over 100 billion at one point in 2021. So there's a lot more capital in the asset class. That's good. We're still undercapitalized relative to Europe. But now specifically to your question of fund size and the indication of success or the correlation with success, I'm a fundamental believer. We at Highland Europe are fundamental believers that fund size should match strategy. It's not in itself a true indicator of success. If you're a venture capitalist and you're early stage, you need a certain size fund to have a balanced diversified portfolio of companies. If you're targeting 15, 20, 25 companies, you need to look at the average per investment and the number of partners that you have to put that to work relative to your strategy. That, in a bottoms-up way, not a top-down way, should define your capital need on a fund. And then you need to factor duration of the fund. Most funds are 10 years with five years investment cycle and then five years to bring money home. 
and then some extension. The reality, though, is most successful funds typically raise capital every two and a half, three years, something like that. And it gets a bit quicker during aggressive market periods or, or top performing market periods. The real measure of success, coming back to growth capital, a growth capital firm needs a bigger fund. And they're different strategies, completely different. They target different return profiles. They have much lower loss ratios in growth funds. We, for example, early stage will typically run a loss ratio in the, in the range of 30 to 50%. So if you have a 100 million fund, you're going to lose 30 to 50 million, which means you've got to get your multiple on the remainder. A growth fund should, by definition, because they're taking less risk going later, no concept risk in theory, more scaling risk, market risk, etc. They should have a, a lower loss ratio, but stats in the industry still suggest loss ratios in the 20s, 25 to 30%. Not sure it's relevant because this is a more general discussion. We tend to run loss ratios of less than 5% over a longer period than a decade, about 15 years. So that has a big impact on returns. Fund size, as I said, is defined by strategy. If you're a growth capital investor and you're investing 30 to 50 million per company and you want to have a portfolio of 20 companies, that will define your fund size. Then you need to be absolutely certain that you have the bandwidth in terms of number of partners, the experience of the partners, the right areas, etc., to put that capital to work in the thematic areas or the industries or the sectors that you're chasing. So dogma, as you say, big is better. Not always true. I would say horses for courses, meaning you have to have the right fund size on the right strategy with the right team at all times. The real measure of success for me, whether you're early stage or growth stage, seed or private equity, is returns, absolute returns, IRR. And if you want to really measure success on a different basis that people don't like to talk about, I would look at venture capital like a SaaS business. And I would look at things like retention, logo retention of LPs. Let's just say investors. LPs is a very legalistic term. How many of your investors are returning fund after fund? Then look at the net euro or dollar retention on your fund. Of those investors that come back, do they increase their capital commitment to you or are they pulling back? These are real hard measures of success. This is how we measure SaaS businesses or any subscription business. Our business is quite like that, actually. If you think about it, 10-year contracts, phenomenal. So the average contract duration on a venture capital fund is phenomenal. So I think we should be looking at these measures. And it applies regardless of, of fund size. So it is true that over the past decades, not just decade, smaller funds in general perform better. But there's a lot of noise in the data. And I would argue that our industry is not an industry to be measured by averages. If you invest relative to averages, you will get a horrible return. This is absolutely a top quartile, top decile kind of industry. And what that suggests is that there's a big, big difference in performance profile between an average performer and a top quartile, top decile performer. I know investors, very prestigious, 
investors who will only target top 15 to top 25 funds in any given segment of the asset class, venture capital, growth capital, private equity, real estate, infrastructure, etc. So Fergal acknowledges the tendency for VC firms to prefer larger markets, but stresses the importance of considering a company's potential to build a business of consequence. He suggests that the size of the market isn't the sole determinant of success, and smaller markets can be worthwhile if a company can achieve a meaningful scale. He emphasizes that the key is to evaluate how big a business can be built in a given market. At the risk of being too general, I would say you're right in what you're stating, that the, the general dogma is that we, as venture capitalists and growth capitalists, chase the larger markets on balance. And that's because the reality is so many companies spend five years to a decade chasing a market that is just not there yet. And that is one of the big risk factors in venture capital that accounts for a substantial portion. I couldn't give you a precise number, but a substantial proportion of the losses of capital in the industry. I like to think whenever somebody tells me there's a gap in the market, my question is typically, well, that's great. That's really great. But is there a market in the gap? Right? Meaning is, is it big enough? Is it worthwhile to go after this? Now, I think you're probably posing the question around a multi-hundred million market versus a multi-billion market. Sometimes a multi-hundred million market can be worthwhile pursuing, but it depends on your fund size, back to return profile, your objectives, etc. And if you could be a dominant player of a multi-hundred million market and still build 50, 100, 150 million business, that's a valuable business. That's an extremely valuable business. So for me, the more important question than the market size per se is, how big a business can I build? Okay, and that probably suggests in a smaller market, I need more market share. But any 50, 100 million plus software, tech, internet related business with exceptional metrics, sticky metrics, etc., good unit economics, healthy growth, customers sticking around, will be valued uh, very nicely. And it might be that it's consolidated as a business by a bigger platform player that's private equity backed or a public buyer. It's probably the case though that you won't go public because the public markets absolutely are looking for much larger uh, addressable markets. They want to see that longer term 10 year plus growth story. The so-called equity story it includes product, it includes market, which we're talking about now. It includes your planning uh, overall, and it includes your team and other factors as well. So I think in general, we do chase bigger markets as a firm, but I think smarter investors in the smarter firms have the ability to look and know if a particular team could build something interesting to get to a, a rational size, let's call it a size of consequence and build a, a business of consequence. It doesn't have to be multi-billion, it can be multi-hundred million, and we've had several of those in our portfolio. Fergal challenges the perception that VCs avoid hardware investments, describing it more as a trend or fashion rather than a dogma. 
He notes that hardware investments have cycles of popularity and that the bar may be higher due to complexity. Fergal suggests that success in hardware investments often requires experienced entrepreneurs and mentions instances of hardware investments, particularly in areas like drone technology. I wouldn't go as far as labeling it a dogma. I would talk about it more from a, let's call it a fashion, a trend perspective. Let's look back to the 90s, early 2000. There was a period where hardware was the primary driver of big returns. There was one firm in Boston alone, Matrix, for example, partners, that just did exceptionally well on hardcore comms equipment, core of the network kind of hardware investments. Then all that infrastructure got put in place and your server farms are in place, all sorts of fantastic comms, hardware, security hardware laid out and that infrastructure has been in place for the last decade, two decades. True, it's more capital intensive, it's more binary in the outcome, a little bit like medical devices, I would say, which is has the other issue of also being a regulated industry. So VCs started to think, you know, post the crash in 2000, they started to think, oh, let's go for more capital efficiency, let's look for more agile business models and less binary outcomes. So a, a better chance of success. And that's what's happened over the last two decades. But that doesn't mean that hardware is completely out. We have in our team some exceptional hardware investors who for the entire decade of our first five funds here in Europe have not made a hardware investment. Uh, we've made some hardware software combo investments, but they were primarily software. And now here we are, first investment of Fund 5, and it's a hardware investment. So it's not absolute dogma, I would say. And I, I don't think we're the only example of this. I just give you our specific case because we did nothing in hardware, more or less, for a decade. And then all of a sudden, first investment of a new fund is hardware. So I would say, again, it's, it's more around the specific opportunity, the founder who's bringing the opportunity. In hardware, I would suggest to you that the bar is higher. And a different question that's coming later, but with hardware, I think I'd want to see a repeat entrepreneur, somebody who's got the experience, because it's very complex. Most of it is very complex. But if I look around the industry, especially early stage, hardware, the number of drone type companies that are, okay, they're using hardware more often than not to gather data. The transportation models, you know, drone transportation, heli transportation, all this kind of stuff that's going on in the market, that's all hardware. So I, I don't think it would be fair to say that there's no hardware investment. It's just the bar's higher, fewer people doing it, but those that are doing it tend to be quite committed to it. Fergal discusses the distinction between large addressable market opportunities where a winner-takes-most approach is prevalent and niche market opportunities. He emphasizes the importance of aiming for the top one or two players in larger markets as they tend to take the majority of returns. However, he acknowledges that successful returns can also be achieved in niche markets if there is confidence in a company's ability to reach a meaningful scale such as a three to 500 million market opportunity. I think we should distinguish here between large addressable market opportunities where the winner takes most attitude is, is 
quite prevalent. The reason being the top one, two players in any large market segment will take the lion's share of the total return available. The chasers, three, four, five, they'll have lower win ratios if you look at their metrics relative to the competition. They'll typically have lower margin because they're chasing all the time. They're investing heavily in go-to-market strategies to try and catch up with the winners. They're not quite as efficient. And there's something about their team, product, the whole strategy that has them in the number three, four, five position versus the one or two. Maybe they came later, which is a different story. But if they roughly start at the same time, I would say winner takes most is where you want to be investing. If you have the chance to aim at the number one or two player, my choice would be to invest there. Now, a more niche market opportunity, it's back to what we discussed on question two. You can absolutely get a great return on a three to 500 million market opportunity business, as long as you have a high degree of confidence that the business you're backing can grow to a meaningful scale. Meaningful for us is 100 million. If we don't see a path to 100 million, typically it's not for us. And the reason is, if we're investing 20, 30, 40 million in a business, the average currently in our funds is in the 30s. It's hard to see how you're going to get your return on a 100 to 200 million exit, unless you have a very, very high ownership. That's unusual in our sector to get such ownership levels. That's more of a private equity style deal. Ownerships tend to average somewhere between 15 and 25, 30% maybe in in best case scenarios. We have a few larger, but that's just unusual. So I, I think it's not dogma, but I think there is a general ambition to achieve a winner takes most group of companies in any given portfolio. In this first part of the conversation, Fergal questioned conventional dogmas in venture capital, advocating for a shift towards nuanced and context-specific strategies. By challenging assumptions about fund size, market valuations, and rigid mentalities like winner takes most, Mullen advocates for adaptability and flexibility in decision-making. In part two of this episode, Fergal will share his view about other dogmas in venture capital, such as founders seeking feedback, founders experience, geographical proximity, the unicorn or bust mentality, and his perspective on board meetings.